right welcome back to episode five of this podcast and this is a first we have finally got a much distinguished guest on the podcast for the first time so i'm going to actually first of all before we go on to the guest i'll keep him waiting in anticipation i'm gonna talk about the previous episode and what went wrong again with that or what, what went right overall as an episode i thought it went really well however i did write the plan about three weeks before i actually recorded the episode so weirdly enough although i was well versed on each individual subject area it had kind of gone stale so i wasn't as as precise with my statements and sentences as i would like one thing i did make use of in the episode was pausing it as people came in and out of the room because i was just solo recording on audacity so that is something i should probably do in the future if i'm losing my trailer thought just whack it on pause have a breather and then return as long as i'm not um mixing out parts of sentences i need to make sure i finish a sentence pause start the next sentence and that's a little recap the feedback loop we're trying to incorporate into the podcast done i will welcome jordan collingwood with a crowd going wild yes 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 how are you oh very well but how was your day today jordan you've had yeah it was yeah it was good it's not bad it was one of those days where you anticipate it to be very busy but it ended up being less so so you know, I hyped myself up this morning for a busy day, but I feel like I haven't accomplished as much as I wanted, but, you know, that's all right. It's part of the pattern of life, so it's all right. But now you're here on this podcast, ready to reflect on all past experiences and then even experiences exactly. going forward. Yeah. So I'll put some context really as well. <laughs> we are on Zoom right now, despite living in the same house, and that's because of technical restrictions with usb microphones and not being able to be in the same room otherwise the audio going all very very strange so we are in separate rooms recording on zoom not how we want to be we want to be face to face but we just got to deal with it for now i'm going to run through a few questions for you jordan i'm just going to let you speak your mind and get it all out there but all of us um to hear and i think much like other podcast they start with people and they look they start with people's younger years and how that brought them to this point in their life and because i've only known you for two or three years i have no idea what your teenage years were like or your secondary school year or your primary years so please just give me a a brief overview of what your childhood and that was like <laughs> yeah so um, sorry, excuse me, there's a bit of a dodgy connection that parts there, so you were, yeah, speaking a bit robot-like, but um, okay, so my younger years, so I guess a good starting point would probably be when uh, joining school, that's probably the the biggest flashpoint in, in a child's memory, and, and it's the, the first time I really started having solid memories, um, interacting with lots of people my age, um, and so I went to a school near to where I lived, where in fact it was opposite to where I lived, um, like primary school. And um, my memories of that were very fond. Um, I remember apparently I was a very hyperactive kid. So that's kind of a theme. And until maybe perhaps I was about 12 or 13 and started going through puberty, I was an extremely hyperactive kid, wouldn't shut up. 
um would always be wanting to input my ideas um and just chat probably a lot of rubbish to anyone that will anyone that will give me the time time of day so i think that's the sort of personality i maintain after my younger years so i, I enjoyed sort of apparently we were in parks um going for walks and i sit down on benches next to sort of old women here in the park and i'd, I'd chat to them about how the day was going stuff like that um <laughs> was, was that uh, so, like was that hyperactivity sorry. potentially disruptive or was it kind of a good kind of hyperactivity in both in that classroom environment back then obviously um it's difficult for me to know but um i i did quite well in school when i was younger and perhaps um i don't know if i was not stimulated enough or that sort of thing but i i, I think i probably enjoyed other things but kind of doing my work and then perhaps distracting other people while they were still working and that that might have caused some frictions i guess in the classroom but um it's difficult for me to know as i said um but then so at the age of seven i moved to private school um which was quite a big point in my life because i went from mixed boys and girls school to being in a boys only school and um for all the for all the positive points of that in terms of shall we say camaraderie and banter you i definitely feel it really impacted my sort of pubescent years of social development so not talking to girls very often being surrounded by a very masculine masculine environment um and also with you know being at a private school it was um, being surrounded by people who are very privileged and perhaps they didn't gain a, a very well-rounded view of the world growing up at that point in time. And that was something that my mum, I remember, trying to just instill in me, trying to reinforce certain things that sort of saying, like, this isn't how the, the real world is like. You know, you need to remember certain things and be grateful for this sort of stuff. And um, so I went to, yeah, private school, boys' school, and then went to go to... Um, secondary school uh which was also boys school until 16 so i had sort of the same same sort of i wouldn't say trouble but i definitely noticed that my social my social confidence took a knock from the age of you know eight onwards i think um and i only sort of started to get that back after i was about 15 16 when um i started uh being in a more well-rounded environment um so that's sort of the social side of it academically um i i've always flip-flopped between various different areas i thought i wanted to be an architect i wanted to be a lawyer i wanted you know you know how kids are um yeah. lots of different lots of different lots of different career paths but ended up uh going down the economics route did economics at gcse a level um and then went to university and did economics at durham university and now it's kind of bringing us up to present day. I want to reflect back on a few things, especially with the private school things. Actually, we, weirdly enough, followed a very similar suit there. I was in a mixed school up until the age of 10 or 11, before then year seven going to an all boys school. And I know what you mean about the change of just how you interact with different people. You become probably a lot more harsh with your insults you're very like looking you're looking out and mm. trying to be very protective and to make sure that you no one can get at you in mm. those environments and even with a with private school thing again likewise with i went to private school and you don't get much context but not everyone goes on multiple holidays a year mm. every single mm. chance i get 
<laughs> so I think that's one thing as you get out of that system, you do have to realize what exists beyond the borders of, that, yeah. of the big school. Weirdly enough, you touched upon this. I wanted to ask when the penny dropped with your education, was there a moment where you went from that hyperactive kid, but by the sounds of it, it was like you're always quite switched on with the education. Because I was going to ask if there was a moment where you decided you thought your education was very important and it was something you wanted to nail on and get right. Or was it something you thought, oh, I don't care about this right now. And then there was a moment you realized it was very important for mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably say that my parents, especially my mum, was probably the biggest influence in that from sort of from as long as I can remember. My my mum especially was always encouraging me to do the best I could do at everything that I, I engage with. And she was always very work, hardworking, so is my dad as well. And so I guess I had those role models of, of people working extremely hard and that was kind of the only thing I knew. So... I'd always strive to do the absolute best and try and be the best in my class or whatever I was doing. It may not have happened, but um, that's kind of what I'd always tried to do. And I think that that sort of existed throughout my whole time at school, for better or for, for worse, because when you do fail, it's pretty hard to take. Um, and I did have that with my um, Oxford application. And that was a real sort of, I know it sounds silly, but it was a real low point in, in my life because it was something that I'd been aiming for for, you know, like five, six years, seven years. It was, it was like on the horizon. That was my target. Um, as soon as I started secondary school, it was like, oh, I'm going to go to Oxford or Cambridge. Um, but yeah, I think my parents definitely being big influence in that and setting the setting the groove that I kind of went down mm-hmm. with applying myself. Yeah. I think one good thing with having great hardworking role models is it just demonstrates the ability if you put the work in you can get the reward out i think mm-hmm. i'm similar in the sense of my dad he's not the brightest spark in the room but he can work hard he can work extremely hard and i think for me that was my massive role model of realizing just putting in the effort and it will take you places you never imagined mm-hmm. yeah on the oxford note i was uh wondering what's drew you to Durham, I guess, as the second choice. And I was wondering if it was a similar system of, let's say, the colleges or what what made Durham be the second choice with that relation? Yeah. So um so for those of you who don't know, Durham University is sort of seen as university where people who don't get into Oxford and Cambridge, they then apply to Durham as a sort of secondary place to go to is it's still got some prestige and it's got the collegiate system, which is what's very popular about Oxford and Cambridge as well, is where you get assigned to a college and you basically feel part of a college family for your time at university. And it's you you do sports with the, with the college, you stay in the college for your first year and you, you sort of, that's your main social hub. Um, and so for me, uh, my, my university decision after getting rejected by Oxford was Bristol, where I am currently doing master's or Durham and what kind of tipped the balance for me I was very close to going to Bristol because I visited absolutely amazing city loved the culture um got a really nice vibe when I visited but it was the placement year option at Durham University that that it kind of unfortunately gave me in my in my in my own mind no choice but to go there because I really valued the opportunity to like work in industry for a year 
because the, the leg up that it would give and did end up having for me giving me a really big advantage that 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 was something i can really turn down and say so it was balancing do i want to go somewhere where i got an amazing vibe off of or somewhere where i'm going to get this year in industry but that is also quite similar to oxford so yeah um i went for that went for that in the end i definitely agree with you on that front having been i went on the other side of things i did my economics at bristol and looking back on it i wish i so wish bristol gave that opportunity no is a one way you could have wriggled around the rules and yeah you know, yeah i was taking, thinking about that taking a but... year out and doing it but the fact that it's not structured in is a huge disadvantage and i think mm-hmm. bristol's mentality was you can still do your internships over summer and spring but not having that dedicated year is it's a huge difference yeah. um, right move on the college note i've got here how was mm-hmm. that do you feel that was a i feel like it's quite a good system it, mm. in relation to making friends making people very close how did you find the college system when you fir- think about think back to your first month in durham arriving at st aidan's was it aidan's st aidan's yeah yeah how was that first month st aidan's yeah arriving at uh st aidan's yeah so for me a big part of my life is sports i've always been massively in sports and i say that is one of the biggest advantages about the collegiate system um because with sports i think sports is an incredibly powerful tool for socializing and and making bonds with people and the good thing about the collegiate system especially at durham which is a sports university is that it facilitates uh sports in depth so people who perhaps may not be the best at sports or may not be the best and may not be top tier at football or rugby or, you know, hockey lacrosse, but you, the collegiate system provides um, a number of teams where you're able to play with people your level at a level that you, a uh, seriousness that you want to get involved with. And then that facilitates you making friends with people that are interested in the same level of sports as you, but also these people also happen to be living within the same college. They're going to the same bar. They're eating in the same um, canteen every day. And so you've got that sport bonding experience, which is what I had with rugby. And so I made a I made a, a close group of friends very early on, just through playing rugby for St. Aidan's and going to sort of going to a rugby training. After that first rugby training session, we all went to the pub and then bonded over that, and then sort of snowboard from there. And um, so I'd say sports and societies that are managed at a micro level within the colleges is is the base advantage that, that it has i think that's true with a sport element and them even being in the dining hall because with intramural football here in bristol although it's that kind of lower level not the high level football that you can enter your team with your mates you're not in that close proximity still so you may be competing sports what sports together but you do end up going in different miles, different directions. So you may not get that close bond and be able to chat about the dodgy challenge um, by Dave on the weekend at the dining hall. So I think you're spot on there. Oh, have I lost you, Jordan? Pause it. We are restarting the recording because of technical difficulties once again with our lovely house and the very speedy Wi-Fi we've got here. Where were we, Jordan? Were we... Bowling? Was it about... 
talking about collegiate sport, I believe, and yeah, the positive impact that has on sort of make the social life, I think, a diamond. Yeah. Did you hear um, me speak about the intramural aspect? I didn't. I didn't. Okay. So one thing I spoke about that was we've got a similar system with intramural. However, it's not as close knit and you're not having um, dinner. You're not living with people who you're playing sport with. And I think sport is a great binder of people. I think that's a, we'll use that as a word. But if you are disappearing to your respective halls, which are then, let's say, a 30 minute bus ride away from each other, it, you struggle to form that really, really tight bond, or it just becomes a lot more effort if it's going to take an hour out of your day there and back to see your mate who you've mm-hmm. enjoyed playing football with, something. So yeah. I think that being embedded with the college system and then even having the competitiveness amongst the colleges, it just yeah. brings another level of community to university, especially, I guess, up in Durham, where beyond the university, is there loads to do? Is it a big city? Is it? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a very, very small city. It's sort of about 50,000 people. So it's barely a city. It's only a city because of the historical sort of uh, having a cathedral. But the, the nice thing is you've got you've got Newcastle there, which is obviously a very big city, about 15 minute train. So there is some escapism from that. But at the same time, I think it was really important to relish the the benefits and advantages of Durham as a small university city. And having spent time in Bristol and li- you know living close to London, the the secluded and very picturesque nature of, of Durham, along with it being very safe. Everything's very close. If like all your mates will live within a twenty-five minute walk of you, no questions asked, and and that again adds to the the so- social tight net, you know, tight knit nature of of groups, um, which you know can be a blessing and a curse. Yeah. But, um. That yeah, there's there's definitely advantages to it being smaller. Speaking of that social aspect of everything being quite close, mm-hmm. I've got a question here for you. Of when did you get into music and specifically DJing? I do know you played an instrument to quite a high level when you were younger, but when was this crossover? Was it as you got to university or was it the second year, third year? Give me a little history of that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I I started playing instruments when I was very young. So I think I started playing piano when I was five, maybe, and then picked up trumpet when I was seven. And played that yeah to to grade eight and then a bit beyond. So yeah, always was always into music. And then maybe when I was about fifteen, started getting into electronic music. So the classic, um, loving a bit of dubstep, that sort of stuff. You know, that was uh, absolute quality. But then as I as I got towards the end of school, I had a few mates who were into sort of drum and bass uh, and that sort of music. So shout out Cam Harvey or Rift. Go look him up on Spotify. Um, yeah, he's, he was big into that. And so I got a bit of a flavor of it. Again, I wasn't massively into it. Then it was probably towards the mid to end of my first year of university. Um, I was doing some work for Opro gum, gum manufacturers. And my supervisor actually was a DJ and did sort of small festivals, set up small festivals and stuff like that. So I got talking to him and everyone on my station was sort of big into, into drum and bass and that sort of music. So we were, we were pumping out this music while we were packaging up mouth guards and sending them off to the right places. So uh, after that, I spent the money that I earned from that on some DJ decks and then started messing around uh, towards the end of that first year summer. And 
um yeah from there just just practicing and as we all know covid happened uh and that was a big catalyst for me because i was stuck in my bedroom uh so i was uh, definitely providing an escapism mm. for me it was was crafting these these mixes that i could listen to yeah with covid hitting i'd know that that was a awful time like for your university experience when i say awful, awful timing is what i mean you were meant to go on your placement year which then got put remote and then you didn't have that opportunity to explore a new city mm-hmm. how was that kind of going from that uber social aspect of being close with your mates with your mates 15 minutes walk down the road versus being back at home not mm. interacting with them every day working with professional colleagues yeah i'd say socially that was definitely like the most difficult period that i went through particularly because i was the only person so in my mates group that was doing a placement year so i was kind of part of a, a wider group of mates of about 20 25 people and i was the only person uh, someone else was doing a, a year abroad but i was the only person um doing a placement year and so when everyone everyone went back to university in third year and was living together in these sort of tight little bubbles even visiting each other and i was still sort of stuck at home um on my own uh, doing doing my placement so yeah i found it very tough i can't lie um but i think at the same time it provided a good opportunity to step back from from this social bubble that I'd been immersed in and to take time to look at who I was as a person. And and then when when COVID sort of died down a bit and I became back more involved with, with within within these social circles, I sort of re-entered as someone who I felt was more me, I guess. And ever since then I felt more comfortable in myself within uh, around um, you know, people from Durham or other people that I meet, I feel like I'm acting more of myself which I think has been a really positive experience from that. So I try and take it to the positive. Yeah. But I certainly were also, points where I felt very low. You're also missing one huge positive as when you had the opportunity during that COVID year, you'd come away to the party city that is Bristol, where it felt like you came down very regularly. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But um, how was it coming down as Bristol was like the escape in that year yeah. almost how was that coming to bristol then and yeah it was, of bristol <laughs> so yeah it was it was it was it was great it was something that i looked forward to for spending a couple of weeks on my own in my bedroom um and then um yeah being able to visit um being able to visit a city that i felt very attached to but never felt i had a real opportunity to spend some time there and so yeah it was it was it was great and it, it really def- it definitely sowed the seed of of wanting to come back and you even wanted to work in Bristol or, or do a master's here and uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about in a second uh, you know it's it, it's something that I, I've achieved and, I, and I'm living here currently so really happy for that hmm. but um he's, he's paused he's paused okay that is how we met properly though because um you came down to see Armour who is who I was living mm-hmm. with and it kind of formed this this threesome of lads in Bristol, <laughs> as as we'd call it. Um, and then we did as much we t- had as much fun as we possibly could, given the COVID restrictions. I think one of our mm-hmm. peakest, our best moments was the infamous 
park crew and some silly oh, yeah. bets and betting on integration, MIT's integration B. So it really does draw out the creativity when you're locked in houses without the ability to go out. And I think it may be the reason why bonded so much us two particularly, I think, because we had to do, we had to make our own fun with yeah. regards to drinking. That, that, as you were saying, kind of sowed the seed for coming here now. Yeah. And how is it being a postgraduate student now in Bristol? So first of all, you've got the comparison of being a student in Durham and a student in Bristol. And you've also got the comparison of being now a postgrad. You're in your fifth year, mate. You're getting on. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting experience, especially because I've gone from being at university where I've I've been there from the beginning, and I've I've made friends with lots of people, and I I know you know people from various years through sports, through societies, through DJ, and I've come to Bristol after almost everyone that I know in Bristol has left. So it's you know myself, you, and one or two other people, and I found that very strange, especially at the beginning of the year because. I felt new. I felt like, oh, it's like freshers again. They're going to make loads of mates. But because of the position that we're in, doing masters, don't have loads of spare time, and you're not living in halls or like meeting new people that way, it felt almost as if I was a bit of an outsider um, at the university that I've just joined. And there weren't in my head, well, I didn't perceive there to be very many routes to, to quickly find people that I was really attached with, apart from, you know, the, the close circle that I already had. Um, so that was definitely a different experience, um, from, from being a fifth year point of view, um, it did feel weird walking around, seeing that, you know, people with freshers and, you know, 18 walking around, um, it, it definitely put things in perspective. I don't think it was always my plan to do a master's because I'd done that year in the industry and I've already felt I was behind the curve because of it. So a lot of my friends graduated when I was about to do my final year of my undergrad. And so I kind of thought, right, I'll do this on the final year and then I'll get on, I'll be a year behind my mates, but it's fine. You know, I'll get a job and I'll join it. Um, but then my, my job search didn't go as well. And I sort of developed an interest in data science off the back of my placement year. And so I kind of took the decision halfway through my final year to, to do a master's. And so on one hand, I was, I was quite frustrated that I would then be spending another year, uh, not in the big apple in london you know chasing that banker dream <laughs> but um yeah i think it definitely was the right decision i've got i've got the chance to live in a city that i absolutely love in, in a way which living as living as a student i think living as a working professional would be very different to, to, to living here as a student and getting that experience that i'll never be able to get again yeah. It's something that I really relish. Um, so yeah, it's worked out pretty well. And I set, yeah. myself up, set myself up really well to, to move to London in September. I know what you mean about the feeling your mates are now a year ahead of you, definitely. I feel like we're both in the same environment there. We are two years behind some people. One of our mm. friends is, is weird. He's done his internship. He's also been, went straight into that same company. So he's been in that company for two and a bit years, which is almost a, is getting on to the amount of time he spends at university. So he's already progressing, going through promotions, and I'm thinking, mm. we'll be going to jobs where we'll be back at the bottom ring of that organization. 
I got to ask you a question about Bristol. And I think I had an idea of it, of what your answer was uh, before. And then I told you about a certain other place and you're like, oh, this is how Bristol students work. But it was with regards to, do you find Bristol to be an environment which allows you to succeed in? So when what I mean by that is with Durham, you probably found that everyone was going to the library, working hard, getting their work done. Mm-hmm. Do you feel Bristol is different in that regard or people are more distracted or is hardworking? Do you find it suits you better or worse? Which way around do you reckon it is? Um, yeah, so I, pre- I preface this with a disclaimer that obviously doing a postgrad compared to undergraduate is very different because I've got, I've got less, less mates to distract me and that sort of stuff. But I, I would certainly say that the close proximity of of the university to your combination and, and the smallness of the city in Durham really is conducive to, to work, I guess, because at the end of the day, there's not loads of stuff you can do to, to distract yourself. Obviously, you've got, you've got some fun nights at the pub and that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't say you're, you're, you go to work out of boredom, but you know, the library's right there. You might as well go get your work done and then do some fun things after that. So I think, yeah, Bristol being a bigger city, there's much more going on. The, the, the nightlife is, is, is obviously it's one of the best cities in the UK for it. So I think it's very easy to see university work as a secondary um, and, and see that sort of party life as what you're always thinking about you're thinking oh I've, I've got to finish this work so I can then go to this event or you know um I haven't quite experienced that too yeah. much because I've had my head screwed on this year but I can see if I'd have done my undergrad here I can see how that how that could have happened um uh, fuck, fuck you that was literally my question it was do you reckon you would have gone off the rails if you'd done your undergrad here and just got fully consumed by the nightlife because I know even in me, I'd, when I came into uni, I had barely been on a night out and I got consumed by it. I was going out six days a week sometimes. That was when it was at my absolute <laughs> peak. And now, as we are postgrads, you're fully right. We've got different workloads and mm. we have kind of become boring. We've become known for dipping and not sending it. But we realize that it doesn't enable us to succeed in our postgrad or any of our health goals so i think mm. we look at our weeks much in a big more big picture because we have we've experienced those terrible nights in the terrible nightclubs so we don't mm. feel like we're missing out so much yeah we've been there and done it i do wonder if have we got boring or have we got more mature that's the question i i think i think it's a combination of the value we derive from these nights out have been regressing and the importance that we place on on being able to do our best and succeed at, at goal, different goals that we have now compared to what we had before. I think it's a combination of the two. And and for me, certainly, I've, I've placed a lot more value on, oh, there's this artist that I really want to see in two or three weeks. I'm going to pencil that in, book that in. I'm going to have a nice pressure relieving evening, you know, having a lot of fun going to see this artist. But then in the meantime, I'm going to really focus on getting, you know, setting all these goals, achieving them. And then when that day comes around, if it was like a, I've, I've, being rewarded and and deserve it and it feels so much better and i think once you do that a few times you can't really go back um especially given we've already experienced that sort of cheese night you know 
making the mistakes in in the club so to speak yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely i've got one last question uh, with regards to actually well it's no it kind of segues nicely into the next bit you spoke briefly about how in your final year or through your placement you found your interest in data science and it's around that what is the passion what is the thing you want to be doing a long term post university is data science the thing which really is exciting you because for me i don't know if i found my huge kind of like my thing if that makes sense mm. i haven't found a thing which really gets me clicking and i can instantly get into flows flow state with it because i feel like how you get into flow state that kind of determines what you really enjoy doing <laughs> and do you find you've found that with data science i wouldn't say exactly it's i wouldn't say it's my end sort of end destination but i'm i'm viewing it as a tool that i'm interested in and a tool that i can use to get to where i think i want to go um so the, from my point of view i kind of I've, I've identified it as an area which is 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 massively growing and it's it's a future-proof um sort of toolkit that you can get to get yourself um armed with and so it will facilitate me to when i do finally develop that real passion for something in the future i'm able to be better placed to achieve that because i know in 10 years time i don't really know what the world's going to be like something may crop up but if i'm able to you know be able to deal with high levels of data and extract um you know um, investigative um answers from that data i know i'm going to be able to to do lots of things in the future so like what one idea i've got at the moment is, is moving into sustainable finance and maybe eventually trying to do uh, make a uh, start a startup which harnesses the power of capitalism to push people or nudge people in a direction which positively impacts you know the world and the earth and, and the communities and you know by challenging people's desires to to invest their wealth um we're able to generate other positive externalities other than them making money um so i think that's that's my end goal and that's why i chose ey as as my next step because they're very involved with sustainability and so you know lots of contacts there a lot of network, lot of yeah. networking. So. I was going to get onto that, and I I was going to mention that right at the start. You're a fraud on appearing on this podcast, to be honest, because uh, I've got to say, extend my congratulations for going through the processes and securing a job. Thank you. Quick question about that. Obviously, you've experienced it. You touched upon it again. Like your job search wasn't. This was before you joined Bristol. Your job search mm -hmm. then wasn't. Um, as extensive as you liked, I'd say, or yeah. how do you feel about the graduate job search process as a whole? How is it? Yeah. Like for me, I'm going through it right now and you get excited about certain companies, you put the effort in and then you submit your application. Sometimes you get an instant, instant rejection within an hour. Sometimes you hear about back from them in three months saying positions closed. And other times you've got to invest another five hours into it to then get the instant rejection. So that's my mindset. When I get excited about companies to then get slapped back in the face from it. How have you found it? Yeah, I guess I'd sum up the whole job search experience, grad job search experience as demoralizing <laughs> because yeah, it's 
there's such a varied approach from from so many companies their, their scheduling of, of how they respond to you whether they respond immediately whether they take ages and there's no communication and then they they hit you with that rejection later on is it's really hard to take because there's always that hope in the back of your mind you know what if what if you're kind of checking your emails every day and you think oh today could be the day i get that email um but also i've in my my interpretation of the process is it does seem very often to be almost random you know you've got people who you think should be getting through certain stages that don't um just based on their cv and, and their credentials which you know to you seem very good so yeah it's very it's a very frustrating process and and the, the way i sort of overcame my previous failures was just to apply for loads more roles than i did before and just sort of scattergun it and i think also having developed a strong interest in data science and done more projects on that i was able to really have a specialist kind of I don't know what the word is, a specialist viewpoint topic or, to, yeah. to, to direct all of my applications towards. Uh, and so I, every time there was a question asked, asked of me, I would direct it towards evidence that I have passion for this, you know, data science because of these projects. Mm. And so that really helps me do better this time around, I think. Yeah. There's a quick question about that is, was it, were you nervous about finding that like the perfect scheme the right scheme and what were the key characteristics of each scheme which drew you to it because obviously they come with different things they come with different benefits different training what mm. kind of what was the standout things you were looking for when you were searching for schemes yeah so the standout thing was definitely being able to work with the tools that i wanted to progress my skills in and for that it was python i really wanted to start a job that worked heavily in python and deal with like large data sets. So there were lots of other jobs which I was looking around for or recruiters were contacting me about where it just I wasn't going to get that exposure. And me viewing Python as a really future-proof tool, I think I wasn't even considering that that side of, of, of the recruitment. But if I hadn't have got these offers that I had, then I think I would have ended up having to go down that route and go down a similar route to what my placement year was, which was in risk. And I don't think I would have been as happy doing that. But at the same time, I think it's important not to close yourself off to to everything. And that first job doesn't have to be absolutely perfect. Mm. Um and I chose so I got I got an offer from IBM and UI. I ended up choosing UI purely because of that sustainable connection, sustainability connection. Yeah. But um I think I was a generally applying for roles where I was going to get really good training because for me I'm valuing that over anything else I think I could have applied for jobs which perhaps might have had a, a higher salary I don't know if I would have got them but I mm. wasn't particularly looking for that because for me in this early stage I want to work for a company where I can make connections get that training and then when I roll off those schemes um companies are looking at me as someone who has um those skills and those those connections which come yeah. with the job I mean it's ba it's a balancing act isn't it fully between mm. What is enabling me to have a good training, to get out of it? Is this going to be a great training, but maybe not something I'm really passionate about? Imagine if they were doing great training, but not in the language you wanted. Or mm. this one was fantastic salary, all these incredible benefits, but then you were kind of thrust into a world with maybe a, ment maybe a mentor looking over your shoulder, not giving you those formal training processes. I think 
the training processes is what's going to kind of act as this what's going to develop you further we've been in education that's what we're in education for basically making ourselves more adaptable more creative and be able to use our technical knowledge and apply it to real world so yeah that is my questions about the future kind of done <laughs> i'm not conscious of a time because we've also got to see friends this evening and we also got yes, to see so i think it's been a great conversation learned a lot about you even <laughs> though i've lived with you and i should know more things but there's little snippets of information there which i learned so i think it's been a great chat having this conversation and i'm gonna finish with four quick fire questions now you should be nervous about these because you may have to break some part of your heart off to answer it okay i'm going to start off with the first one <laughs> so uh you're never allowed to have rice again or never allowed to have ramen again oh, no. oh that is actually tough yeah. if you don't know i eat rice pretty much every single day but ramen is like my guilty pleasure so it's whether i'm it's whether i'm sticking with my Oh, this isn't a rapid fire. So, okay, yeah, this is a rapid fire. I've got to say, uh, never having run again. Go stick with my rice. Oh, yeah, that's right. tough. Right, yeah. next one. I, I don't know which way this one can go. Would you rather have Strava or SoundCloud Premium? Oh, SoundCloud Premium. I can't lie. Because, I mean, I can explain. Yeah. So, go for it, my friend. Even the. Even though Strava, even though Strava, Strava Premium, yeah, cool, improving my health a bit more, marginal gains. I think SoundCloud Premium, allowing you to upload more mixes than two hours, is is going to progress, progress my my interest much more than being able to map a route, especially given the free rider problem. I can just use you to map all my routes. So very yeah. true, very true. It's from it's. Uh, we'll go on to the next one here. We go. Uh, would you rather have a 100 kg bench or a sub 90 half? Sub 90 half. Sub 90 half. Yeah, I was going for that as well. Yeah. Uh, the last one, you've already touched upon it, but we'll whack it out there anyway. Favorite coding language? It's got to be Python, lad. It's got to be strong Python, man. Ball trades. Massive snake. So <laughs> that has been a very enjoyable conversation. I hope you have even reflected on some of the things we're speaking about, because even speaking about them makes you think, mm. makes you try and kind of put it in big picture. I think when you're talking about the jobs for me, that was because I'm applying for all these jobs. That was quite helpful because it's going through that weighing up all these different benefits for different jobs and there's different ways of looking at it. Is it something which you're going to look at to upskill yourself or is it something you're just going to go in there? earn your money and leave or are you just going to accept that it may not be the perfect one but you can't close yourself off you need to be open-minded about all these opportunities and as we get later on in the year you kind of do have to make sure you're more open-minded yeah. that was good for me to listen to we'll end it there and we may have a follow-up one in let's say three months time and we'll see how things have progressed we can maybe talk about a subject now we've introduced you we could talk about a subject together and give our thoughts about it rather than this interview process. But yeah, it's been fantastic speaking. I'll speak to you in about five minutes as you come through the door. Thank well, yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Is there anything you'd like to plug for the 
a massive audience of myself who will listen to this back uh, probably over the weekend. Yeah, so go check me out uh, on SoundCloud for your all your mixing needs. Uh, it's Tovsky, T-O-V-S-K-Y. Uh, I've only got a jazz mix up there, um, but the premium sound cow is going to be coming inbounds and got quite a lot uh, that are going to get uploaded. So go check it out. Have fun. But yeah. Thank you very much, Sean, for your time. Bye bye. Thank you.